0: are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit HarvestBrampton.ca. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's in the power of Christ that we stand here and sing your praise, not in our own power, not in our own righteousness, Lord, we stand because Christ stood in our place and went to the cross on our behalf. And it is in Christ alone where we find hope and peace and strength. And Lord, as the headline stories have come in, Lord, about this this tragic accident in Saskatchewan, this hockey team from Humboldt, Lord, as we think about the victims, as we think about the parents receiving the news about their, their sons, these young men about about the coaches, the spouses, the children, the brothers, the sisters, Lord. God, we pray that you would shower mercy and grace on that community Lord. God, we, we have a hope and Lord, we, we can trust you and believe in you, but we know that there are many in this nation Lord who do not yet know you. And so Lord, I pray that you would mobilize the Christians in that community Lord to uh, be messengers of hope and grace and peace to that hurting and mourning community. Lord, we live in a broken world, God, where where disasters, where accidents like this can take place, and and they weigh heavy on our hearts, Lord, but thank you that we have a hope that there is a perfect place that you are preparing for us in your presence forever, and Lord, help us to be... um, messengers, ambassadors of that incredible message of the hope that we have in Christ alone and Lord I pray you would be with us now as we open your word Lord we need to hear from you and so God we pray and we ask that you would speak through your word in a powerful way that will bring life transformation for your glory, in Jesus name we pray, amen amen, well please be seated you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and find verse 7. We're going to be in Matthew 7, 7-11. to If you don't have uh, your Bible uh, with you, if you don't own a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle with copies of the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift uh, to you. If you're just borrowing it, you can drop it off at the table uh, at the back. Matthew 7, verses 7-11. to You know, something incredible happened in our household a little while ago related to this box of Tic Tacs. I discovered, you know, a box of Tic Tacs on our kitchen counter, and so I picked it up. And, you know, when you pick up a box of Tic Tacs, there's that Tic Tac sound, you know what I'm saying? And then, as soon as I did that, something incredible happened. I started hearing the rumble of footsteps, and then all of a sudden, four little boys were charged. I mean, one came from the basement, one came from upstairs. I think one of them was at the neighbors next door. And they all came running. Now, this put me in a very unique position at this point. And I couldn't help but ask my kids this one question. Why is it that when I go up to your room and stand in the doorway and say, it's time to come downstairs for breakfast, you act like I'm not even there. And you pretend like you can't hear me. Why is it that when I holler downstairs, come upstairs to to do your chores, why is it that I get no response but you hear this and you come running? You know, I have a, a real unique experience being both a preacher and a parent. Because as a preacher, you all at least give me the impression that you're listening. I mean, right now, you're sort of looking and nodding and smiling and, and, and acting as though you're paying attention, but with my kids, they, they don't even give me that benefit, and so it, it's quite humbling, and I think in all of our, in all of our lives, we, we have moments where we're talking to someone, we're saying something, and we're wondering, are they really listening? I know that you know, I had something to say to my kids about listening, but I'm sure they could say the same thing to me. I'm sure there's times where they're asking me a question but my mind is somewhere else and I'm not listening to them. I'm sure I'm having a conversation with one or two or three other are trying to start a new conversation with me and I'm not listening to them. You see, all of us have been on both sides of that sort of a situation where we should be listening but we can't or we don't want to. Or we want so badly for someone to listen to us and we just begin to wonder are they actually listening right now? I wonder if you've ever felt that way as it relates to prayer. I wonder if you've ever prayed and, and wonder i wonder and wondered is God actually listening? I wonder if what keeps us from praying and following the the repeated exhortations and commands and invitations for us to Pray and to talk to our heavenly Father, I wonder if deep down we doubt if God is actually listening that 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 our concerns might be too small, that He has a lot of other things going on that he's focusing on and and we we wonder whether or not he's listening well, one of the things if you familiarize yourself with the teachings of Jesus is one of the things he was trying to clarify time and time again and communicate repeatedly and emphatically is that his disciples should pray because his father is listening. You see, Jesus has this relationship with the father that goes back from all of eternity and he knows the father and his whole reason for coming to the earth Was so that we could experience the relationship that he already has with his father. That we could relate to God as father. That's why he came. That's why he lived a sinless life. That's why he suffered and died on the cross. That's why he rose again three days later as we celebrated last week. All for the purpose. So that we could call God our father. So that we could relate to him as sons and daughters. And so Jesus wants so badly for his disciples to understand and for us to understand that God is listening, that he is all ears, that he is not too busy, that he is not preoccupied, but that he is ready to respond to us when we pray. And so, Matthew 7, 7 to 11, these are one of these times where Jesus is communicating that truth, that God is listening, so we ought to pray to his disciples. In verse 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We're going to see Jesus communicate to this This truth to his disciples sort of in in three movements, three sort of uh, rhetorical devices that he uses to communicate with force, with power to his disciples that they ought to pray. It begins with this. It begins with a clear invitation, a clear invitation. He says in verse 9, ask, seek, knock. He, he's tell, it's, it's not even just an invitation really, it's a command. This is the authoritative Son of God giving an imperative here. In fact, uh, people that know the Greek language a lot better than, than I do uh, indicate that, that these individual Greek words are present imperatives. And so it's difficult to translate into English. The, our English translation, the ESV, does its, works hard to replace one Greek word with one English word. But to really capture the sense of the way this Greek word is structured is it's not just ask. What, what, what The force behind it is ask and keep on asking. It's not just seek. It's seek and keep on seeking. It's not just knock. It's knock and keep on knocking. There is a command not just to pray but to persist and persevere in our prayers. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows how how often we give up on things, how how we so often quit, and Jesus is giving this clear invitation, this command, that we would continue to pray, and to seek, and to ask, and to knock. And then in verse 8, he kind of makes a logical connection. He says, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, It will be open. What Jesus is getting at here is when you ask, you ask for a reason. When you you seek, when you're looking for something, it's for the purpose of finding something. When you knock, you're you're expecting the door to open before you. It's just logical. It's why we do that. I mean, no one goes to a restaurant and says, you know, I'd like some butter chicken and chana masala, and then the waiter goes, you know, back into the kitchen, and then you don't say to the person, boy, I really hope food comes out. I mean, sometimes it takes so long, you wonder, like, did they forget? But no, you asked, and you're not indifferent to whether or not the food comes. No, you want it to, you you asked, and so you're expecting it to, to be brought out to you. And if it's for some reason they, they've run out, then you expect the waiter to come back and tell you, sorry that's not possible right now. But we ask for the purpose of receiving, don't we? We don't frantically look around for our car keys all over the house just because we enjoy the search. We're expecting to find our keys, aren't we? And, and, and we'll keep looking, they've, it's got to be here Somewhere. And we don't just simply go around to people's houses and knocking on doors. we get in trouble when we used to do that and run away, didn't we? The purpose is we want the door to open. But do you ever feel like sometimes in prayer you're just doing it because you think you should? You're just like someone at a restaurant and you're asking and you're kind of indifferent whether or not the food comes. Or you're knocking on the door and you're not sure if anyone's even in there. And you're just looking because you're you don't know if you're really gonna find something. Do you ever do that in prayer? You know, it's funny. The same disciples that heard Jesus say this that they got caught in this in the book of Acts after Jesus died and rose again and sent His Holy Spirit and God was working so powerfully. In Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter and James both get arrested and James gets uh, gets executed. The first, uh, the, uh, the, the first uh, apostle to, to, to give his life. And, and, and Peter's there in prison. And so they all get in a house and they start praying. And they're praying so hard that God would perform a miracle. And protect Peter's life. And change the politician's mind. And maybe give Peter a great defense attorney. So that he could argue his way out of this. And they're earnestly praying in this house. I don't know if that's what they're praying. That's what my guess. Is what they, that's what I would pray probably. And they're, they're praying that this would happen. And then there's a knock on the door. And then Rhoda goes to the door. And it's Peter. And she's so excited, she doesn't let him in. But she goes and tells everyone as they're praying. And they are praying that Peter would be set free. Rhoda comes along and says... Peter's free. He's at the door. And as they're praying for Peter's freedom, this is what they say in Acts 12:15. This isn't a paraphrase. This is what the Bible says. They stop praying, they turn to Rhoda and they say, "You are out of your mind." And then they go back to praying, "Oh God, you can do anything. Set Peter free." He was free. You see they were praying. But they weren't expecting it. They were praying because they knew they should. But James was already dead. So they probably figured the same thing's going to happen to Peter. But we might as well just pray. And I wonder if we do that. I know that I do. Just pray because I know that I should. I'm not really sure if God's working. I'm not sure if this is listening. I'm not even sure if I'm doing it right. I'm not sure what I should be asking right now. But Jesus says, no, we got to ask. Ask and expect to receive. Seek and expect to find. Knock and expect the door to be open to you. God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to connect his giving with our asking. It, did, it didn't have to work that way. And there are times where God gives us things that we don't even ask for. He can do more than we could ask or imagine. But he does choose to connect those two things. Our asking with his giving. It's it's not that God is up there listening and all of a sudden saying, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Thank you so much for telling me. I'll get on it right away. No, Jesus said in the, all of this is part of the Sermon on the Mount and earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in in chapter 6 verse 8, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. We're not informing the omniscient creator of the universe of our situation. He already knows. So we're not asking to, to, to tell. And also, we're not, we're not asking to try to sort of beat him down or wear him out. To try to convince him as if he, he didn't want to help us. But well, We've got to show him how serious we are about this. That's not his heart at all. I love the way John Stott talks about this idea. He says, the reason why God's giving depends on our asking, is neither because he is ignorant until we inform him, nor because he is reluctant until we persuade him. The reason has to do with us, not with him. The question is not whether he is ready to give, but whether we are ready to receive. God uses persistent Persevering prayer as a means of preparation. If we simply asked and got it, what would eventually happen is rather than rejoicing in the giver, our focus would be on the gift. But God often delays in answering so that we would persevere, so that we would draw close to him. So that in the process of persevering in prayer, when the answer comes, we don't delight in the gift. We rejoice in the goodness of the giver. It's a means of preparation. The other question that comes up when we look at a passage here, I mean it just seems so black and white. Ask, receive. Seek, find. Knock, open. Open. Is God writing a sort of a blank check here? Is he saying just sort of ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. No strings attached. It's just as simple as that. Well, just, just think about that for a minute. Because that certainly hasn't been my experience. I, I haven't received everything that I've ever asked for from God. And to tell you the truth, I'm actually happy about that. Because I've asked for some pretty dumb things in the past. And I love the way one of my favorite scholars, J. Alec Mateer, describes it. He says, if it were the case that whatever we ask, God was pledged to give, then I, for one, would never pray again. Because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises God were pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and in exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear the burden? You see, Matthias is zeroing in on something that's very, very important, that God has more wisdom than we do. He knows ourselves better than we know ourselves. He knows our situation better than we know our situation. And so he doesn't ask, and he he doesn't answer, and he shouldn't answer in the way that we always want him to or think that he should. He always answers. We always do receive. We always do find, but what we find or what we receive or what we see on the other end of the door isn't always what we thought We needed, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But listen, a good father doesn't do everything his children ask. I mean, if that were true in our house, we'd have Tic Tacs for breakfast. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, hears our prayers, listens to our prayers, uses those prayers as a means of preparation for him giving exactly what we need. Because he knew what we needed even before we asked it. So he gives this clear invitation. Get out there and ask. Go and seek. Knock on the door. Talk to my Father. He's listening. He will respond. And then he follows up with this clear invitation. Then with a comical illustration. A comical illustration. Jesus uses humor to really hammer home this point you know the apostle john wrote at the end of his gospel that jesus said and did many other things and he didn't he said there wasn't enough pen and ink in the world to write it all down i'm sure there's a lot of other hilarious material i'm convinced that jesus had an incredible sense of humor and wit and we just get a tiny bit of it here in this comical illustration that he shares Verse 9, he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread? So this is the setup. If you were to analyze how humor works, the reason why you laugh at a Far Side comic strip, or the reason why a stand-up comedian is so funny to you, or, or, or a situation in a movie, the reason the, this is the science behind funny. Okay, It has to start with something normal. It begins with a context that is everyday, that everyone can ac- accept and you carry the person along and then all of a sudden you insert something absurd. That's that's at the core of every punchline or every joke or every funny situation and every funny show or movie. Sorry if I just spoiled it by getting scientific about it, but that's exactly what Jesus is about to do here. He sets a mundane situation. A son asks his father for bread. Jesus is the master communicator, the teacher of all teachers. And so he's going to use, he's he's so clever, he's brilliant. He's going to use this illustration, this comical illustration, but notice what it is. It's a son asking his father for bread. This is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had already taught on prayer in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So not only is he going to use an illustration that's comical, that will sort of shock us, he's also using it to describe what what he said we're supposed to ask for. We're supposed to ask our father for our daily bread. And so here's the situation. He says, which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Now, I'm not very good in the kitchen. Chances are, if my kids ask me to bake bread it would turn out like a stone. But I would never do that intentionally. I would not think, you know, that, that, that that's a, you know, sometimes in recipes you gotta make a substitute. You, you don't have butter, so you use a margarine. I apologize to the dairy farmers in the, in the audience, but sometimes you gotta do that and... But you, the bread cannot be substituted with a rock. I mean, it might be high in minerals, but it's, it's completely useful. There's no nutritional value in a, in a rock. It's ridiculous. A a father would never do that to to his child if his child asked for bread. And then in verse 10 he says, or if he asks you for a fish. Now, my kids have never asked me for fish. But I think maybe you know, Jesus was thinking about a, a different context. I know in, in different cultures, you know, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's breakfast time and maybe, maybe the son goes to his father and says, Father, can I have some, some ackee and some salt fish and some fried dumpling? It's a standard breakfast, isn't it? And then imagine if the father came forward and said, Okay, here's your ackee and here's your fried dumpling, and then instead of the sulfish, I'm gonna make a substitution, I'm gonna give you a serpent. Now, what would the son say in that moment? What would he say? He'd say, How would this? <laughs> Only the Jamaicans got that. Because <laughs> I had to ask some Jamaicans about it, because I know they eat. F- what is this? You see. You move from the the bread to the stone, it's it's something useless. But then you you move from the the fish to the serpent, it's not just that it's useless, it's actually harmful. And so no father would, would do something like that. So Jesus uses this comical illustration. He talks about something that's absolutely ridiculous, that's outrageous, that's outlandish. To prove a point. That when we ask earthly fathers or when our children ask us to do things for them. We don't do what's useless. We don't do what's harmful. No, we love them and so we provide for them. So he uses this comical illustration to set up really the last movement in this, in this powerful uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. He, he concludes with a comforting affirmation. He wants to comfort them. And so he gives them this affirmation. He speaks this truth. He sets their mind at ease about who his father is. In verse 11 he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says, if this is true of everyday fathers, everyday human moms and dads, it must be even more true with your heavenly Father. Notice how he begins by saying, "Uh, you then who are evil. Uh, Jesus didn't hesitate to talk to his, I mean, these were not terrorists. That he was talking to. These were everyday, working class, normal, bread and butter kind of people. And he just had no hesitation to say, all y'all who are evil. You know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about Jesus. Who claim to be experts about Jesus. I'm not sure if they've read this passage. You hear people say, oh, Jesus didn't ever judge anyone for anything. This sounds pretty judgy. You then who are evil. Evil. And we live in a world where you can call hardly anything, there's only a tiny category, a, a minuscule percentage of the world population, a, a only a few behaviors that you could even possibly dream about referring to as evil. We live in a world that says everything is good. The problem is not what's inside of us. The problem is that there's evil oppression outside of us. And there's all these social and religious and political things that are oppressing the goodness and preventing what's good inside of us from coming out. That's not how the Bible describes it at all. The Bible says, yeah, there's lots of evil on the outside. There's oppression on the outside. But there's also evil on the inside that needs to be dealt with. No, the world says, no, there's a spark inside of you that's good. Fan it into flame." Jesus is like, we got to put that thing out. It's a tire fire. It's evil. But then he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts. You see, it's important for us as Christians to, to have a complete and accurate understanding of what it means to be human. Jesus, in this short little verse, gives a great summary of anthropology, of what it means to be To be a human. You know, sometimes we can hammer total depravity so much and the wickedness and the vileness of human sin. We can emphasize that so much that we forget that even the most worldly, selfish, debauched, and wicked person is still capable of doing good. That even someone who is about to, to go out to a club or, or, or a uh, uh, party and drink and drugs and, 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 and promiscuity, all of these things, that person could still give money to a panhandler. And, and a, a person who is completely self-serving and cuts corners in their business and double-crosses people and lies and cheats and steals can still call their grandmother on their birthday. You see, every single human being bears the image of God. And because of that, even though that image is terribly distorted because of human sin, the image is still there. And the capability of doing good is still within. Now, Jesus came, told us that we're evil, although we're capable of doing good. But listen, Jesus came to deal with that evil that's inside of us. That's why we... Ha- we, we we, we, we needed him to come because of our evil was separating us in our relationship with him. That's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross. So that he could bear the penalty for all of our evil deeds, our evil thoughts, our evil actions, our evil words. That's the, that's the point. And if we're talking about asking today, that's the first thing you need to ask for. You need to ask for forgiveness for the evil things that you've done and said And thought. And it's as simple as admitting that you're evil. Agreeing with Jesus. And then believing that Jesus was God in the flesh. Who came to suffer and die for you. And then committing to following him as Lord. And Jesus then takes that evil that used to be our core, the, the defining characteristic of who we are at the very core of our heart, gives us a new heart. Yes, we are still fallen. Yes, we can still do evil things. But evil no longer defines the person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, he is a new creation. The old is gone. And behold, the new has come. And so that's the whole reason why Jesus came. And so, if you haven't made that decision, that's the first thing you need to ask. And that's the the most important prayer that anyone uh, could pray. That's the reason why he came, so that we could refer to God as our Father in heaven. And then he says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? good things James 1 uh, verse 17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change God doesn't change he is the father of lights he only gives good gifts he only answers prayer with good things and there's no variation. There's no sh- he's the same as when Jesus was talking about him, as he's the same right here, right now. The same God. There's no variation. There's no shadow. There's nothing shady about the way that he deals with us. It is always good. Psalm 84, says, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly no good thing. If there's something that we're asking for and we're not getting it, it's because it's not good. We may not understand. We may not understand why it's not good. It might feel like it... it, it, it I don't see anything bad about this. I don't know why what I'm asking for could be considered anything other than good. Why aren't you doing this, Lord? But the Bible tells us, and the Bible is true, that every good gift comes from God. And Romans 8.28 tells us that, that God works all things to come together for our good. He can't help but be good to us. There's, a, there's a, a ton of things happening in the life of our church right now. And as, as elders and as leaders and as members, we have been asking God to do some things. And God has been answering. Because you ask... So that you would receive, you seek so that you'd find, you knock so that the door would be open, and we've been seeing that happen. And there have been lots of moments where it's been hard to get to sleep, wondering and worrying about what's going to happen and how's this going to turn out. And listen, all of these things are good things, and we're going to update you about them real soon. But in one of those moments, I was just sharing my heart with. With, with Lindsay before bed about this is how I'm feeling about the situation. And she had just read, she just got a new devotional book. And, and she had just read this really helpful paragraph that she uh, shared with me. It's, it's by uh, Lydia Brownback. And it, it reads as, as follows. It says, the answer we think we need seems so logical and clear to our way of thinking. Yet God does not provide it. This is where faith comes in. Real faith isn't the belief that God will do a particular thing. Real faith is the conviction that God is good no matter what he does and however he chooses to answer our prayer. That is real faith. Pouring over this passage this week to get ready for this message and our our prayer night uh, tonight, and seeing God answer all of these things in the life of our church, asking and receiving and seeking and, and, and finding. And, and then on, on, on Friday night, I normally don't even check my email late at night, but I checked my email and I got, I got an email from my best friend on planet Earth. He was the best man in my wedding. And apart from, you know, I've got to be careful, my parents are here, and apart from Lindsay, and, and my, 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 my close family and my children, this is the most important person on planet Earth besides all the obvious other people. As far as a non-family relation, this is my absolute closest friend. And about five years ago, uh, he was in a parking lot going to a mall with his kids and he just he just collapsed. And they did a bunch of tests and uh, and it turned out that he had a massive brain tumor and they had him do a surgery. I remember when I first got the email, I, I, thought, it was a, I thought it was a joke or a scam. I thought someone hacked into his email. I, was, I didn't even respond. I, I thought it wasn't real. And God has protected and preserved him and, 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 and ha- has, has been working in his life. And there would seem that they had sort of come to the end of sort of medical treatment kind of things. But then he, he received a grant and he was able to, to, to get this new medication. And it initially seemed to be working and, and he was deteriorating. But it's one of those things when you're fighting cancer, right? It's almost like your, your body's falling apart and you can't tell, like, is the medication doing this to you or is the cancer doing this to you and uh, the last and there's all these scans and reports and updates and all of that but the last, the last scan, the last report is indicating it's, it's the cancer, that the tumor's growing now I, I'd love you to meet this guy like the most gifted guy the most humble guy Loves Jesus. He's a chaplain at a Christian school pouring into these students and then sending them out to college or university or the trades to to preach the gospel wherever they are, having an unbelievable impact. I can, he's got a wife, he's got two children. I can't possibly see anything good about him succumbing to his illness. I can't see it. And I honestly believe that for me to try to rationalize in my tiny finite mind, reasons why it might be good, I think that's insulting to him and insulting to God. So what do I do? I ask. And I ask that he be healed. And I'm gonna keep on asking until he is, Or until he goes home to be with Jesus. And if he's healed, I'll know that God is good. And if he goes home to be with Jesus, I will have faith and trust that God is good. I, between services, just a dear sister in the Lord... And they've been from our church right from the very beginning. And before I knew them, they they lost one of their children. And she said to me, hope in Jesus never fails. Hope that Jesus will do something may fail. But hope in Jesus never fails. It's what Jesus says. Our Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. The last words of this paragraph are ask him with an exclamation point. The first word in this paragraph was ask. Five times in these five verses we have the word ask, 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 ask. Will you join us tonight? 7 o'clock, 83 Kennedy Road South, at our ministry center. Will you join us as brothers and sisters to come and to ask our Father. There's lots happening in our church that we're going to pray about. We're going to have a time for us. If we have some of those moments, like how how could this be good? Moments where we're going to be praying in that that gap between what we think is good and what we see happening. And how is God going to answer? We're going to be praying about those kinds of things tonight. Will you join us? So let's ask him right now to work in our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, God, Lord, the main concern of your son as he was sharing the Sermon on the Mount at this particular point was to simply help us understand that you are a good father. And so, Lord, that is what is supposed to motivate us in prayer. And so I pray right now in Jesus Christ that by the power of your spirit that you would use your living and active word to break through and break down whatever walls, whatever barrier, whatever stronghold would be preventing us from truly understanding that you are a good father and that you give good things to your children. And so, Lord, you know where my heart is. Lord, I also know that you know the the hearts of every person in this room. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be so gracious to each and every one of us, that you would be so kind, that you would allow us to relate to you as a loving Father, Lord. And that there would be such a movement of prayer among our people as individuals and corporately, Lord, that you would stir in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.